which is how we want our land to be. Um, regenerative, healthy, diverse plants and animals, productive natural seeps and springs flowing. Our water supply is flexible, a balance of livestock and wildlife and perennial pastures with 100% ground cover, grass, open woodlands, lots of shade, healthy, happy stock with reeds um, that are healthy and clean to swim in. So yeah, that's, 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 that's our driver. You know, we're making decisions towards that. This podcast series, Queensland Women, Inspiring Stories from Environmental Champions, gives voice to the vital environment support and ecological sustainability work undertaken by inspiring women practitioners, advocates and thought leaders in this state. We hope that it offers our audience and particularly women listeners energising ideas and encouraging role models which can help motivate them as they develop their own contributions toward building a genuinely sustainable future in this place. To be clear, that would be a future based upon much improved levels of human and other species health and well-being, much improved levels of social fairness, and an authentic, sustainable economic prosperity which leaves no one behind. The series was produced for Hope Incorporated Australia in Toowoomba, Queensland, on and adjacent to the traditional lands of the Jarawa, Guyabal, Yugara and Waka Waka peoples of the surrounding region. Hope pays respect to the past, present and emerging leaders of all First Nation Australians in this country and celebrates the unique contributions their cultures make to this place. Those contributions include Indigenous spiritual respect and care for country, the sovereignty of which was never ceded. We acclaim Indigenous stewardship of the nature of Australia, undertaken over many, many thousands of years, and the model that stewardship provides us now in this place, as we survey and attempt to repair some of the environmental damage created by the often misguided development approaches of only the last 200 years or so. Hello and welcome. My name is Andrew Nicholson and I am the producer of the podcast series. The principle of holism, defined in simple terms, maintains that everything within human endeavour and experience is linked and interconnected in some way to everything else. For instance, across social, environmental or economic concerns, long operationalised in diverse ways within many indigenous cultures around the world, the principle of holism has taken far longer to diffuse into dominant Western development mindsets. My guest in this podcast episode, Helen Lewis, knows all about the principles of holism adoption in agriculture, having qualified as an accredited professional educator in holistic management with the Savory Institute. Over the last 20 years, Helen has been training organisations, groups and families in holistic decision-making, holistic profit planning and holistic planned grazing, and she practices what she trains about, implementing, along with her husband, holistic grazing for a growing cattle herd on their property west of Warwick in southeast Queensland. During our discussion, Helen talks about the origins of her interest in holistic agriculture, her direct experience of observing the benefits of adopting holistic principles on her own farming property, and her passion for spreading the word on holistic agricultural practice to other people, farmers, policy and decision makers. She hopes that her work will contribute to a future in which all development decisions achieve a more considered, evidence-based balance, incorporating proper valuation of the holistic interconnections between people, environment and prosperity. So welcome, Helen. It's great to talk with you today. 
Terrific, Andrew. Thanks for this opportunity. It's awesome. Be fun. Let's start the conversation by asking you to give us a bit of a brief personal background on your environmental support interests. On that score, my first question to you is, do you remember how your passion for the environment started? Well, yeah, interestingly, it. Um, I guess I grew up with veggie garden. Mum was an avid gardener. And also, uh, I think at about you know, 13 or 14, I had um, I designed a farm and I had paddocks. Um, I had just enough paddocks so that the animals arrived uh, and then they walked up the hill because I knew that, um, up, you know, walking uphill would build muscle, which is meat, and then they'd walk down downhill, so it was like this long, skinny thing with uphill, and then they'd walk downhill, and then by the time they walked down, they were, they were ready to go to market. And um, I was moving animals um, from one paddock to the next because I thought, well, fresh food would be good, so that's a good idea. And so I was actually planning my grazing and uh, and going in, into that. So I designed this farm back then, uh, which was really fascinating. And then, um, and I just remember going when I was doing training with Bruce Ward uh, back in 1998. Um, I said, "Oh my gosh, I designed a farm just like you know, I designed a farm that would do this, that would plan the grazing." So it was very funny. But um, yeah, and it's just one of those things where lots of lots of little things in my life. Um, you know, I looked after you know a lamb and fed a lamb when I was a kid. I had you know we had some acres and anyway, look, lots of lots of little things came into my life that indicated you know that really emphasised that whole notion of no farmers, no food. Um, and now I take that well, no good farmers, no good food because we actually have to really think about the quality of the food that we're eating, um, not just uh, farm and make food. Um, however. So, yeah, so I guess I'd like, like to make that preference. Um, yeah, and so I guess, and that, I mean, for me, good food is chemical-free um, and um, and it should all be natural natural processes. So thanks. Mm. Very very interesting to hear that, you know, sort of early childhood experience, which you, you do tend to hear in a, in a whole range of settings, you know, if and perhaps it's unsurprising, but if young kids are exposed to the natural world, wherever that is but you know mm. particularly in a farming is, is so clear but even in an urban environment you know um spending time in even the sort of um you know semi-natural areas of urban environment you, you tend to find there is a often a lifelong interest that's to um that comes out of that for people but in yeah. your case obviously you know attaching very much to the agricultural sector and farming and you discovering later in life as an adult you know the value of um Good food, and uh, you know, par parlaying that into your your current work, you know, with um, yeah, holistic management, right. etc. Yeah, and it's um, and I think uh, I mean, I, I first got into holistic management through because of a friend of mine was at Marcus Oldham Ag College, and he rang me and said, "Oh, you've got to do a holistic management course." And I went, "Okay, right, oh, good, sounds good." And uh, yeah, so I did that, and then that's um, and because my background was policy and um. And also agri agribusiness, agri politics. I just went, oh, that's how you make good policy as well, and make good decisions, and on community development. And my background is also community development, and so I could, oh, we could actually do some really great programs with this whole process. So the management part of holistic management is the decision making, and that's the that's the piece that is actually really important, um, and um, the area that I've decided to focus on. Um, going forward um, with Decision Design Hub and I take people through the whole process of making better decisions and their collaborative decisions. So, yeah, so um, it's been a 20-plus year journey to date. So that's been great.
And look, we're, we're going to hear some more about specifically about holistic management and its sure. methods and approaches in a moment. But it's interesting to hear that early influence, if you like, which brings me on to question two. But, you know, how people get into how they're led to how they, I suppose, find their way into a particular field. You mentioned your your contact there, your friend there. But the question two is specifically, is there anyone in particular you remember who inspired or mentored you in your work? You've just mentioned one individual, but I know there are others that you would cite. So, uh, Oh, yes, yeah, certainly. So Bruce, Bruce Ward, who is sadly no longer with us, um, he was definitely, um, you know, it was the, my first point of, point of contact really with holistic management. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so definitely Bruce and Susie Ward and then the um, – and then from there, uh, the whole community, really, the holistic management community, which is, um, and of course, then Alan Savory, who I met, and I've spent some time with Alan. And um, and then, of course, that took me to Africa, where I met Dick Richardson when he was over there. And he's now doing some really great um, sort of, you know, advanced grazing, I guess, and grazing naturally. And, and then... Um, and also met Bruce Maynard. So in amongst all the mix. Um, and they... Um, and I think, uh, yeah, there's oh, there's been many, and uh, and obviously Brian, you know, all the educators, Brian Marshall and Brian Welberg, and yeah, there's there's a whole uh, crew of people that have influenced. Um, uh, and so it's just a really great community and good good place to start, you know, share ideas. So yeah, it's excellent. And not wanting to be provocative for the sake of it, but I notice it just so happens there didn't appear to be any female names in that list. But <laughs> no doubt you are you are you know the representative of this this generation that as passing on the the sort of uh, the flag uh, on holistic management. But I've just wondered actually, has it been a male dominated um, field until fairly well, recently? Or? I think I think because of the focus has been agriculture by default, it tends to be male. You know, in males get involved in it because, um, you know, that's it's their, you know, they're heavily involved in the business. Um, but it's the women, I think, um, in my experience in families and things, uh, the women will be the ones who actually implement these systems and the procedures and, and make things happen. Whereas, um, you know, I mean, not, not well, every situation, I mean, everyone, I mean, together, I think we achieve more. So, you know, it's a team effort. We all bring something different to the table, um, and uh, and you know everyone has their you know, everyone's a part of the jigsaw puzzle really. So I'm not I'm not terribly um, worried about gender um, on that front. I think everyone does their bit, um, and um, look you know and uh, there's uh, lots of you know I mean fantastic women involved in holistic management, and um, we're all we're all just doing our bit. So and I mean I don't think it's uh, it's holistic after all. So it's actually about people just doing good things. Absolutely. That's, that's a great answer. And and will those thought leaders, either male or female, the ones that you've mentioned and any others that come out in our discussion today, you know, we'll, we'll put them into references into the actual uh, show, show notes that go with this episode online so that people, hopefully listeners, can follow up on, on their great work and ideas. Um, and look, and you've already started to answer this question, the next question here, but, you know, coming now to your actual specific, you've been talking about the inf early influences and the early, experience, early experiences in this field, coming to your specific, you know, hands on um, environmental support, holistic management activities. Um, how did you get involved, you know, on the ground with environmental conservation to begin with in terms of some perhaps some specific work, early work that you did or whatever comes to mind? Well, I guess after 
Oh, during my training, I guess I mean, you know, you learn. I've been working in agri business, agri politics, um, community development, and um, without with an interest in obviously ag and rural. And I'd set up um, an organisation for young country people called Equip way back in the nineties, <laughs> um, enterprising Queenslanders and young primary producers. Mm. Um, and in that was was actually about trying to help younger people connect with the internet and also about, you know, think about the globalisation and the global economy and but also supply chain management. Um, and in there I was talking about the holistic decision-making work and and the holistic management. So, um, and, you know, the grazing and, and environmental, the consequences of the to- management tools um, and the consideration of people, environment and our longer-term prosperity. So, you know, that was sort of like the fledgling start, I guess, of, of that process. Um, but then after that, I was out in Alice Springs uh, and I was um, running a company for pastoralists, so we were really, um, you know, everyone was pretty interested in their grazing and, and all the environmental management, so we did quite a lot of work in that area and, you know, Dick Richardson came over and spoke and, um, and a couple of times and Alice. And then uh, I moved home and became land care officer, so I started working around my own catchment and, um, yeah, I was offering, you know, we, we ran projects, but I was very, very sure that they were going to be productive projects it was actually you know they had to be um they had to be production based it wasn't going to just be planting trees for the sake of it they had to actually make sense for the producer as well as um the landscape so um yeah so it was about the balance of the business and the environment and i think that's where the holistic process allows us to be profitable and regenerative um in restoring the landscape as well so that's a bit exciting uh, and so um, they, they were my early kind of exposure, I guess. Uh, and then uh, fortunate enough, I guess, to have, um, you know, it was lovely, my, my husband, Ian, and um, who has a um, property. We're on the property now west of Warwick, so we're able to implement and and do what we do with holistic management here. So that's um, that's been really great. Mm. Helen, just do you, do you think well, look, we've mentioned holistic management several times here, and we are going to mention mm. it several times more as we, because it's you know a central uh, focus and interest of yours. And uh, is there any is a simple a simple way of, of just defining that for, for listeners, you know, in terms of the basic principles, so they have mm. some key ideas about that as we you know at this point in the interview as we go through because we're going to hear about it more uh, as we as we talk on. Yeah, so really, it's uh, it's based on making making decisions that consider people environment and prosperity uh and so you get the best possible outcome so ultimately that's that's it in a nutshell um and it's a decision making process the grazing and everything are the how-tos of actually how to make all that happen um and obviously there's a process to make those decisions so that they are um socially environmentally and financially sound but um it's a simultaneous, like it allows us to make those, dis- like consider social environment and financials simultaneously. So what we get caught up with at the moment is a bit of silo thinking. So we think, oh, we'll make a socially sound decision or an environmentally sound decision or an economically sound decision, but, um, you know, or an economic decision. And they're all kind of in silos where, because we are linear by nature as humans. And so it's it's quite hard for us to actually make a, holistic decision because uh, considering the people, environment and prosperity or 
social environment and economics because um, of our linear thought process. Um, however, the decision-making process, holistic management, which uh, Alan Savory has put together, has actually um, manages that through a decision-making matrix, a tool, a decision tool. Um, and, and because we are actually basing it on a reference point of our values and our vision, which is common ground for everyone involved, um, it really does mean that everyone's included, everyone's heard, um, and the and the dis- the process actually is the decider, not not any individual or ego in the room. Um, and I also liken it to the like thinking about it like a three legged pot. So for a three legged pot to actually stay upright, it actually needs to have equal, so, so, you know, the legs need to be equal length. So if we, we, we are managing holistically, we've got equal social, environmental and, and economic. Um, if one of those legs is short, it's going to tip. And so that's an imbalanced. Um, and that's some, you know, it's, you know, what happens, I guess, when we, we uh, are not managing holistically and we, we, we drop back into silos or linear thinking. You know, it's interesting for me, uh, coming from an environmental science background, you know, long way back into the 70s and um, first encountering, well, basically encountering the idea of holism as this idea in very simple terms of everything being connected to everything else. You know, the environment mm, is connected mm. to the social, which is connected to the the economic. But it's it's amazing also how long it's taken for that concept to really start to get into the mainstream. I, I first encountered it in another field, uh, John Elkington in the UK. I mean, the so-called triple mm. bottom line, which was another yep. concept that was floating around for a long time in business and corporate, you know, sort of spheres. Um, it sort of seems to have risen and fallen, you know. But but what struck me in reading some of the background around um, holistic management and uh, regenerative agriculture literature and preparation for this interview is you seem to be doing it. I mean, uh, quietly behind the scenes, I mean, in the agricultural sector, this stuff is taking off. Uh, mm. It seems to be in, in mm. very practical and on the ground way. So it's great to see that those principles being yeah. applied. Mm. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think the triple bottom line is a, absolutely, it's been, the, it's it's the first start. I mean, it's, me is what the basis of of that now we're talking about environment social and governance the esg reporting that companies mm. are doing and so that triple bottom line but they were still in silos and so esg is exactly the same it's still they're still reporting in silos environment social and governance separately mm. there's no integration so there's no process that they're using that actually brings that together as a whole um, and that's what the holistic management process would do is to bring that process of decision making and reporting for the um, the ESG or social, environmental, and, and economic um, as a as a whole um, and and simultaneously. So that's the that's the big difference, and and also you know, well, lots of differences. But that's that's the one big difference. It would allow that to happen. Mm. So you know, so true holism as opposed to talking yes. about holism, but still doing the old reductionist thing. You know, well, it's a bit like thinking about it. Okay, so I'm a whole person, but my next whole outside of me is actually the environment. It's not my, it's not my partner or my family. It's the whole environment around me because my skin. There are no boundaries in nature, so my skin um, dries out in air conditioning and it absorbs moisturizer, um, and so my very next hole around me is my environment. And so, and then, yes, we, have, we are part of a whole family or, a, you know, and then maybe a community and things like that. But there's multiple holes within holes. So I know that's a little bit, you know, <laughs> esoteric. But, um, but you know, um, yarn smuts and, is, and holism and 
um, you know, patterns. I, you know, nature happens, it works in patterns. Um, and so it's a bit like, and I also like to use the kaleidoscope as well. I mean, you know, if, with every decision we make, the pattern changes, but it changes the whole pattern. It doesn't change what's one square. So if we think about that and you say, well, for every decision I make, I'm changing the whole, I'm in, I'm, I'm functioning in, it's this understanding that we're all connected. And the other way I like to describe it is a pebble in the pond. If you throw a pebble into a pond, it ripples to the edge. And the bigger the, the, bigger the pebble, the bigger the ripple and the longer it goes for. But the point is it ripples to the edge. And so there's a ripple effect with every decision we make on people, environment and our economic or our prosperity, you know. So that's that's how I like to sort of illustrate it to people. Um, we need to start considering that because clearly we've uh, we've got a bit of mess to clean up. <laughs> um, so can't really start too soon on that front. And again, you know, I, I suppose I am a bit of interested always in the historical aspect of any idea, the history of ideas, because it often gives us, a, you know, some very interesting insights. But just to make the point, you know, we're coming to this idea of holism and its application fairly late in the piece in in western development mindsets but of course it's been around in some shape or form mm. in indigenous cultures for thousands of years you know where these these cultures the indigenous first nations cultures don't didn't see or never saw any artificial um you know barrier or um distinction between themselves the natural world uh, their resource mm. base etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's it's almost that thing about also learning from other other world views other ways of looking at the world but it's good that it's coming in, um, albeit rather late in the in the in the piece. So, in terms of working with people, you've said you know it's one thing to have these really refreshing, innovative, and and frankly practical and workable ideas because the, the demonstration is in the proof of the concept, isn't it? You've been seeing that, and you're going to tell us about that. You know, working on your own property, but also the properties and uh, sector agricultural sectors you've worked with. You've worked with many different types of people. You're involved in therefore change management and change instigation. Um, and it's sometimes that thing that people say, ah, oh, well, there was a light bulb moment, you know, that I, I've been doing some stuff for a long time, but suddenly, you know, some some idea came to me or someone influenced me and I had that light bulb moment or that aha moment that I, when I finally realized that what I was doing was, you know, impactful or useful or whatever it was. So in your personal situation, was there a specific moment in time when you first realized what impact your work was having in protecting or restoring the environment through through this this new holistic way of thinking. Well, I guess it's actually was when I was at in actually being trained by Bruce Ward, and because of my background, I when I said to him, I know he hadn't even he hadn't even talked about it, and he said, oh, I said, oh, this is how you make the policy, and he just stopped and he looked and he went, yep, <laughs> but but it's a, it's policy is like you know right at the back of the book, <laughs> um, and. Um, and it was just that thing of, oh, and this is how you could make great community development and so everything else besides agriculture as well, and that's exciting to me. This is like a universal framework for better decisions um, and that's, uh, that's what we're needing <laughs> because it's all very well for agriculture to be pumping along and doing a great job, but everyone else needs to actually also shift what they're doing um, and so everyone's uh, everyone's part of we're all part of the world we're all part of the environment we all need to everyone um, regardless of our role and our job we need to start considering the impact on it um, and and the people and our longer term prosperity so I think that was probably the biggest like aha moment of wow this is actually bigger than just you know putting up fences and grazing animals 
this is this is a whole decision making process for the world um and and how we're living in it i mean at that bigger picture level you know what you're pointing to there is the need and this is a massive challenge but as you imply i think it, this is absolutely crucial that we do this that we change our mindset away from this idea that we're separate from nature that we can yeah. actually just do our thing in nature with no you know which has been demonstrated ad nauseum for the last 20 or 30 years as the, as the actual environmental chickens come home to roost for the damage that we've done. But nonetheless, getting that across to a culture that's been seeped in 200 plus years of scientific reductionist thinking, et cetera, et cetera, that's the magical change ingredient, isn't it? But I, mm. I know in addition to you getting across that stuff across at a sort of educational level, this is some of the stuff you do in terms of uh, bringing these ideas to your constituency, you know, the people that you work with mm. on the land, for instance. On your own farm, uh, I gather down near Warwick there, that you, where you run, uh, let me get this correct, an Angus herd amongst mm. other, other other things that you do down there. You've seen the evidence of the application mm. of these holistic principles in practice. Could you give us some idea yeah, what sure. you've observed there? So every year we do our biological monitoring and we've noticed, um, and I monitor, um, throw some darts and assess the soil surface and uh, we've moved from 60% um, ground cover to uh, 90% ground cover. So we've actually increased the amount of, um, we've reduced the plant spacings. We've uh, managed to actually really pull in, um, you know, create the right conditions for all these plants to grow because of grazing management and um, we haven't planted anything. And, uh, and so we're really noticing a shift in that. And, and for that, because, I mean, um, bare ground water water will evaporate off bare ground and so you and for every bit of bare ground you lose 75 or 75 percent of any water from bare ground so if you have you know um and, and, and people need to understand that one millimeter of rain is one liter per square meter on the land so if i have a if i have a square meter of bare ground and i've just received 25 mils Okay, so that's 25 litres on that square metre that I've received. That's actually quite a lot of water. But if I, if that's bare, when that's bare, I lose 75% of that. So if we can keep ground cover, um, and which, which basically acts as a, a way of taking the energy out of raindrops so that they actually go in and don't run off so we don't get erosion and, and floods, because floods are caused because of, um, you know, the uh, big, more more run, water running off the land, um, and usually, um, and so that's that's a big thing. If we can actually take water in, because we've got organic carbon in the soil, but also the first the first point of point of call is actually having something to break the raindrop. And then we've also noticed that you know the water is running clear, so. Um, when we've got we've got a floodplain, we've got a flood area. Greymere Creek runs through our property, which is seasonal creek. But when it's been in flood this year, we've had silt that's come in from the neighbours or further up, um, and then that's at the the first paddock it enters the the property, and by the time it's actually crossing the road, leaving our place, or when it leaves our place over the road, it's crystal clear, and so. I mean, we're obviously not going to absorb all that water. I mean, it's actually a creek and it's flooded. So we've just noticed that in flood, we don't have dirty water leaving our property. It's clean. 
And, and that's a pretty, that's a great indicator, a great monitoring indicator for me that we are doing um, a great job. Plus also on the, on the biological monitoring, we've increased species from about four to about eight to 10 different species on any given monitoring. Um, I think even last year I had about 15, so, you know, on average. Um, so, yeah, it's actually, you know, those those are the things. We've got tighter plant spacings, we've got better, so we've got better ground cover. Um, we've certainly got diversity, you know, in a, in a foggy, a misty morning, there's um, thousands of spider's webs um, in amongst all the grass. Um, I've got some beautiful photos of, of dewy, dewy spider webs um, throughout our, like our places and our paddocks. Um, we've got a whole heap of um, birds and biodiversity. Um, we've got yeah, just different species happening. Um, and also uh, we've got dung beetles. So we've got a lot of um, activity taking the manure back into the soil. Um, and that's, that's also very important for that mineral cycle and, uh, and being able to build the soil biology. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, grass plants don't defoliate themselves. So we need grazing animals in, in brittle tending or, you know, or seasonal rainfall areas to actually cycle, eat the grass and pull it out the back end. We don't have a tractor that can do that yet. And I don't think we ever will. So uh, we need animals in our landscape to restore them properly managed so that they move around and it's that's a factor of time not numbers so we need to move animals around um they just don't need to they, they you have to move them so they don't stay too long it's when they stay too long they do damage to plants so in a growing environment so it's it's that nuance of actually how to it's it's not the how it's not the cow it's the how um and that makes all the difference so yeah so i think you know we have got we we are buoyed by what we are seeing, um, and uh, you know we've we've done some really interesting things, and we have we have applied um, the tool of technology with um, with our hydration works that we did. We um, we put some um, sort of just um, on the on the contour um, um, sort of ponding banks, um, and that has really changed an area that was very was. Um, not very productive, and it's really allowed that slowed the flow of the water. It had a, had a gradient on it, and it was just rushing through, and so it slowed the flow. And we are now having um, we've got so much more grass, so much more diversity, um, and so there's some really practical. You know, those those some of those things make a lot of sense to um, you know to have a look at and see if they apply to uh, individual farms and things like that. Hmm. You know, you, you covered so many uh, points there, Helen. Yeah, it's fantastic. Sorry. You know, no, 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 absolutely not. No, but I, I mean, um, taking what I can from that, you know, in the sense of being of a, of a layperson, you know, not being knowledgeable about the agricultural sector, but I suppose trying to bolt that mm. on to other concepts that I am aware of, you know, within holistic uh, ecological mm. sides of stuff. But, you know, you're saying, I get the impression this is also coming from some of the background reading I did for this interview. You know, this is more of attempt to uh, if not mimic nature you know work yes. with nature as opposed to battle nature um that zero tillage or minimal tillage of the soil building up ground cover getting more species diversity in there because we know that healthy ecosystems in nature healthy um natural systems do have species diversity they they're not running on monocultures as we've sort of you know tended to specialize in industrial scale yeah. agriculture you're reading the landscape it seems to me um much yeah. much more in a much more sophisticated way or at least a much more attentive way 
you're noticing these markers like spiders. I, I read again in this reading that spiders apparently are a particularly good yeah, bioindicator if you've got lots of spiders, which which the average punter might think, oh no, spiders. But in fact, you know, in terms of what you're doing, that's a great that's a great look. Mm. Um, just that that whole thing of uh, working with nature, reading the landscape, uh, doing everything. I suppose more in line with what the natural system processes do, and and you're seeing the result. You know, more water retention, which has got to lead to uh, greater productivity. I was thought. Um, is that is that am i reading that correctly as a lay person i mean some of those points yes. that's what you're yeah yeah absolutely and i think it's it's about monitoring so we we don't assume we're right we're dealing with nature we know it's complex we know uh we will never have the capacity to fully understand it and you only have to look at what the the developments that have happened in soil biology in the last 10 to 15 years to where we were to where we are now to know that there is just so much we still don't know. Um, so I think that's that's the big point. And, you know, and all of our effort is actually made towards our context. And I'll just read the, the, the last piece of our context, which is how we want our land to be. Um, regenerative, healthy, diverse plants and animals, productive, natural seeps and springs flowing. Our water supply is flexible. A balance of livestock and wildlife and perennial pastures with 100% ground cover. Grass, open woodlands, lots of shade, healthy, happy stock with reeds um, that are healthy and clean to swim in. So yeah, that's 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 our driver. You know, we're making decisions towards that, um, amongst other things. But that, that for our land base, um, when we're making decisions that will directly affect our land base, we are making sure that what we're doing is moving us towards that, so that um, so that we get what we want, uh, and that's you know. That is um, that's yeah, truly um, truly the process of, of the holistic management process is to always be moving towards what it is we want well into the future. Mm. And I, again, I, I came across that. I mean, and specific it, how it differs perhaps from traditional agricultural practice. Although I suppose you know there's always been the potential for a farmer to hold a vision of what they want to see. But I mean, you this this form of uh, approach makes that much more tangible it seems to me it's you know you you you're you're spelling that out in terms of the vision of what you you want to see the yeah. values that go with that as well i gather are important i mean the values of yes. holistic management whatever particular special specialism of regenerative agriculture is going on and that leads in effect influences the goals um the goals and therefore the actions of yeah. what you're taking so it's it's a much more um well again as a layperson just a much more uh, determinist, you know, sort of structured. It's very process. intentional. It's very intentional. Right, right, intentional, right. Yeah, it's a very intentional management process. Um, we're doing, we, we do everything with intention. We know what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that, that's, that's so relaxing. <laughs> you know, if, if you know what, you, what you're doing and why you're doing it, oh, you can just take a chill pill because you go, yep, we're, we've got this. Um, so, you know, Helen, just staying with that idea of this is uh, a much more, you know, um, planned, planned out and intentional, as you said, I think you use the term intentional process, as opposed to a more hit and miss process of, say, perhaps more traditional agricultural practices. I just wondered what you think, you know, uh, about the mm. beneficial effects of that approach, perhaps on as far as mental health is concerned, you know, where stuff is more certain, more, more set in, in your expectation, because we hear a lot about the incidence of mental health distress in the agricultural sector at the moment, there seems to be a lot of anxiety, depression, that sort of thing going on. 
without making too many claims for it, do you think that this that that process, holistic management, could have more beneficial effects around that type of mm. Yeah. So I guess that's right. So when we go to a field day or, you know, anything where we, we're getting a heap of information, you know, we come home with the old sample bags and we go, well, what do you do? Like, which, which what do you choose? Which, which practice or which input or, you know, what are the options? And if you've got a, um, your values and your vision to check or evaluate each idea or option towards and run them through the decision tool, um, it's you're 100% in control of the decision. It's not what your agent thinks. It's not what your neighbor's been doing. It's not what, you know, peer groups or whatever. It's actually about you and what you want and how you want your place to be. And, and that's the driver. And I think that, I mean, to me, it's just that um, confidence in decision-making agency. Um, and to be, yeah, look, and, and with that comes consequences, there's no doubt. But when you're already, when you actually know the consequences of the management tools um, on your landscape, because you understand that, you know, different tools, or the, the same tool will have a different impact on a seasonal rainfall, sort of dry and then wet over summer or whatever. And then a um, to, as to a humid environment, which is like the hinterland um, on the eastern seaboard, East, east, eastern side of the Great Dividing Range, um, and we're we're behind, you know, we're west of the Great Dividing Range, so we have a seasonal rainfall, and so you know, the you know two different landscapes, you can apply the same tool and you'll get different results. So being aware of that, um, and then being able to check, uh, and so that that in itself gives you enormous amounts of of you know confidence and calm because you kind of okay tick that box I've got that sorted that's good um and now I can decide whether or not I do these things um to make my place even better so it's it's just that whole process of of just knowing um and understanding how nature functions and what will enhance it and that's the that's that's all you've got to do <laughs> we're just going to actually make take take make choices and and make decisions that will improve nature because at the end of the day, if we are farming and that's our business, well, you know, a healthy soil, a highly functioning soil um, that can take in 50 mils in half an hour and can, you know, can make the most of five mils is, um, is, is the kind of landscape we want. And uh, a healthy farm produces healthy grass and healthy food and that's healthy people. Um, and that's our business. So uh, right there is um, everything matter. You know, the soil is where the you know where the business starts. Mm. Certainly, hear your fantastic advocacy skills in evidence there, Helen. As you as you sort of give us the the, the nuts and bolts of this model, you know, taking as again as a layperson listening to this, you know, the farm specific, you know, one size doesn't fit all. But don't worry about that because we can take the guesswork out of what we do by using an evidence-based uh, set of processes that you're describing. One of those tools that you mentioned is this biomonitoring approach, um, being much more savvy about what's going on above and below the ground. Can you tell us a bit more about that? You did start talking about that before, but as that sure. sounds like an important part of the process. Yeah. So what the idea of the monitoring is you're checking your water cycle, your mineral cycle, so your ability to, to transfer nutrients in the soil um, and the, you know, that, that, soil health, um, the ability to um, convert sunlight into, you know, sh um, sugars and, and send energy into the soil, so the energy flow, 
and then diversity. So there's the four key functions of life. They're the four foundations. You know, if they're highly functioning, we are rocketing as a business. Um, if if um, but the the trick is they they're, they're absolutely linked. So if we're reducing our water cycle, then we are diminishing everything. Everything is like think of a uh, tetrahedron, an equal sided pyramid with four sides. And each of those functions are on that, you know, are on a side of that tetrahedron, one 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 per side. Um, so you've got your mineral cycle, your water cycle, your energy flow, and your diversity. So if we uh, diminish any one of those sides, then the whole is affected. Um, so by just knowing that, it's really important. So that's why we monitor that. Uh, and then it actually only takes three, like for two sites, I can do two sites in three hours. Um, I go out and I, I mean, uh, I think I'm supposed to, I, I know I'm supposed to, you know, throw a hundred darts, but I throw 20 darts and times it by four, times it by five and get a percentage um, because that's, that's okay. But it's something, it's so much better than nothing. Um, and so I do that. And then um, I read the landscape and it tells me what our management has been doing and what it hasn't been doing, you know, so that, and that's really, every year we just check, we just check in to say, okay. Are we, are we on track? Are we staying on track with where we're heading towards that vision of our land that I read out before? Are we moving towards that? That's, this, that's, that's all we need. I think, you know, um, listening to this fantastic uh, set of ideas about how you go about this work, this holistic management, uh, we must get some, um, you know, link to some resources that you would recommend, perhaps, sure. you know, in terms of your own work, but also, you know, again, linking back to some of those ideas, those thought leaders we've had before. But if any resources that come to mind, you know, uh, by the end of this session uh, that you, that you mm. think would be good for people to follow up on if they're really intrigued by these ideas, uh, then we'll put them in as well. Yeah, sure. but, but look, Helen, um, Let's uh, now, as we you know, move through the story of your environmental support interests, professional contributions, which have been many and various. Uh, surely, it can't have all been a bed of roses. I had to get a sort of you know a growing sort of metaphor in here somewhere. It hasn't been a bed of roses, even if they were grown holistically. So I'm mm. thinking that there has has to have been a few obstacles for you to overcome along the way. And so, question: the next question is, what have been some of those challenges you faced in your career? And how have you overcome them? Because I think this will be a very great interest to people, anyone who's trying to introduce uh, pioneering ideas, innovatory ideas. Sooner or later, there's they'll come up against some degree of sort of pushback or resistance or whatever. So in terms of your own work, I mean, what are some of the challenges you faced in your career and how do you think you've overcome them? Yeah, sure. So I think it's um, there is a there is a challenge. It's new information for people. And whenever I start training, I always sort of ask the question, what do you do with new information? Do you block it out or do you something that's going to challenge where you're at or what, what, you, what you know to be true? Um, and so I always ask people to say maybe um, and let, let new information just percolate in their minds for a few days before they, um, you know, and hopefully it just will find its place rather than being chucked out too quickly. Um, but, yes, I mean, it is it is tricky when, you can train people and it's uh, because of the, the processes are, I guess, quite, I mean, they are involved and there has to be a commitment to implementation. Um, so often we can train people and, you know, we go back, we, we check in three months later and, you know, they may have done the, the, the grazing stuff, but the decision making, you know, still is, 
you know, it hasn't really been implemented, you know. The grazing's the how-to and um, it moves people and, and people like that because it's, it's well, we are linear. We love how-tos. Um, and so it, it speaks to us that way. So, I mean, and I understand that. But I think life does get in the way when we leave the course and, and get home and the, the folder goes on the shelf in the office uh, and that's where it stays. So sometimes it's it's best, you know, that ongoing support and actually what we've also found to be good is actually getting people into support groups. So having an, um, a course in an area where people can, um, uh, you know, get together and gather um, regularly and, uh, and touch base with each other. So because there is a significant amount of change and even if it's uh, – a and, and people might be ready. They might have the change of headspace they need and the mindset they need, but it's at the PNC meeting down at the school or, or the pub or when you notice that you're different from others. Um, and that can be quite lonely for people who at the early star stage of the change, you know, of, of shifting and moving and, and doing the transition from conventional to regenerative or just moving into more of a holistic headspace and um, work, wanting to work with nature instead of trying to control nature. And, and so that support is really valuable. Uh, we have a group of five other families that we meet every sort of quarter loosely to actually work on the business, discuss what we're doing and just support each other. And even interim, like we collaborate with each other, you know, throughout the year, we, we share equipment, we do all sorts of things. We're all trying, we're all managing in a similar way. And I think, and then that's just huge for our confidence and our support and, um, and that's what we try and establish with train, you know, people we train and groups that we train so that people can build that support. Um, and um, it, is, it is really, um, it's, it's also accepting people where everyone's at. So some people are ready for the whole thing. Some people just need to have bite-sized pieces and you just need to plant seeds and nurture them and, you know, and then water them and then come back. And often I found that when I was in Alice Springs, you know, I was loading up uh, parcels with a lot of information um, and a lot of how, like, you know, a lot of ways to do you know, all the grazing and everything. And, you know, it was not until I left that I think the change happened. But, you know, it was, so, it was sub, sub, subsequent to me where other, other people that were other other interactions or other influences that came and just supported what I'd been planting the seed that I'd planted and then um and then that just rolled on and eventually there was some germination and and things started to change um through the center which is pretty exciting but it's just that how often um you know a change agent isn't around where the change when the change happens it's it's it, it just takes time and and you have to just allow for people to transition through that that process on there because you know if people change at their speed and in their time frame it's actually more permanent you know it's a because they own the change and people have to own their own change you know it sounds fascinating uh, and you clearly are a passionate advocate for this work and you've been doing it for a long time 20 odd years plus you know in, incorporating the work into your own uh, property your own farm but nonetheless, I think people are often interested in the story, the personal story of the change agent or whatever you want to call them, the um, entrepreneur, the innovator. In your particular case, you know, how do you feel uh, personally that your work has influenced your well-being, motivation 
and determination to keep doing what you do? Oh, it's just so exciting. So uh, when I first did my first holistic context back in 1998, um, I was only mid to late 20s and uh, I, uh, you know, life for a mid to late 20-year-old can be pretty pretty like a roller coaster. <laughs> um, you know, you're out doing all sorts of things, running, running around the countryside, running amok, you know, ups and downs, you know, not quite uh, as um, probably, you know, thoughtful or considerate about others maybe sometimes or, um, or, or just simply just um, lots of highs, lots of lows. And I just found that there was, you know, there was, you know, um, the, the yeah, highs and lows and, and or, or uh, you know, not lows, but as in I think just uh, periods of uncertainty, you know, greater periods of uncertainty or deeper periods of uncertainty and then, you know, great times. So um, once I did my context, all of a sudden, and when I was really using that, and as soon as I did my context, I just, because it was mine and my values were in there, my um, my headspace was... I really internalized it. And so then from then on, every decision I made, I actually really used it. I, re- I, re- I didn't, you know, maybe sit down and use the, the matrix, but I always thought about my context in my decision making. And I just found life just turned into ebbs and flows instead of a roller coaster ride. And, and maybe it was a little bit of maturity thrown in as well, but I obviously was ready for it. Um, and I just found that that made, um, a whole heap of difference for me um, and I really um, and then also though in the actual educating of people just the wonderful you know the wonderful people you actually do you know all the people who come to training and and what they get out of it you know it's 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 awesome to see the the, the changes they you know that people do make the ones who do do make the change um, it's just terrific to see how they're they they flourish personally and um, and in business as well and I think um, and the, I've been because I've been focusing on the decision making for the last few years I've been helping organisations and families and individuals with their decision making um, and I'm just finding that the process is so uplifting for people and enabling families that may have found the conversation difficult to actually it makes it easier. Because we're talking about values and vision, not about individuals, not about people, not about the you know specific people. We want something. How are we going to make that happen? So the people, you know, individual personalities and preferences are taken out of it. That's really fascinating, Helen. I mean, what I just took from that comment um, is that almost you know holistic management or holism as a concept, you know, it being used as a philosophy of life or as a framework to guide um, living. And, you know, from what I understand, having read about um, holistic management, this is not surprising because it does hold out the promise to offer a better way of making decisions, whether it be that be in, in your personal life, in your business life, you know, at a corporate or even a cultural level, um, better decisions are based on the fact of that interconnection, being aware of those interconnections between the social, the environmental and the economic. So it's, it's obviously worked for you. You you live it, might be a way to say, as well as yeah. train on it. In the best possible way, I wouldn't suggest that um, I'm, uh, <laughs> you know, you can do what you can do, but at least I have, I have a point hmm. of reference to, to move towards. Um, and, you know, it's a, uh, 
it, it gives us a sense, uh, it gives me a sense of calm that I know that that's sort of the general direction that I need to be moving. And yeah, look, sometimes it, it we, you know, we do better at that than others. But the point is, is that, um, kind of it's it's a bit of a due north like we kind of know what we're doing yeah mm. and why we're mm. doing it fantastic mm. yeah brilliant well look helen as we move toward the end of this insightful interview there's been some fantastic insights here let's switch focus now um to the present moment in 2023 mm-hmm. and the future beyond that so the next question is are you working on any current exciting projects well yes yeah, so i guess uh i've I've been developing Decision Design Hub um, over the last few years, and it's it's sort of had a few uh, renditions. And uh, as as any good, uh, well, any sort of new um, <laughs> new concept, um, it's it's really just taking and really honing in on the decision making process of holistic management, and I'm making it a universal frame, like a universal decision making. So, um, I guess I've got a podcast coming out. Uh, at the end of May, and I've also been uh, I've got some workshops coming up at Warwick and also at Lismore, uh, and so I'll be running out rolling out more um, decision making workshops, and um, yeah, so I guess watch this space in a way. I guess <clears throat> I've um, um, I, I, next year I'll be doing more. I've just um, I'm just trying to. I balance some other things going on at the moment. So I'm with some other work commitments. So I will be uh, definitely, 2024 will definitely be um, a bigger year for me um, in regards to this decision design work. Um, And I'm definitely looking at getting into um, offering support to councils and also to organisations and uh, companies as well as uh, policy work. So just really re, re, um, really reviewing and and offering some reviewing of policy and also and often the premise of policy can be old and out of date but no one's actually asked why was this policy instated in the first place and is it still relevant or has technology superseded it or whatever so sometimes our policies can exist but we actually haven't updated the the point of them we haven't stopped to think, oh, what is the purpose of this policy again? Um, so those are the things that I think is it's timely to start looking at some of those things. And uh, and also, you know, strategic direction through but, but genuine values-based strategic direction and uh, with a values and vision and then that, that ability to simultaneously report on environment, social and governance um, in an organisation and company situation. Um, yeah, helping boards, helping CEOs. I've been mentoring some CEOs and and various you know and, and various organisations as well. So yeah, that's that's the exciting part. I guess I, I am looking to move into that organisational side of things and the boards and councils and yeah, I see some real uh, that's an area that hasn't you know we we can do a lot of work, good lot of good work in. You know, it's really inspiring to hear that you're not only spreading your wings, you know, beyond the immediate agricultural sector to take the holistic management model, for want of a better way of expressing it, um, to other sectors of the community, which, as you imply, exceptionally valuable to do. It's also just brilliant to see holism finally coming home to roost, you know, after so many decades of it being talked about in various forms and shapes, mm. but this is, you know, actually genuine holism as opposed to siloed <laughs> versions of it. You're, and you're doing it. So yeah. we must definitely put in links 
to the podcast series, to the um, the workshops you've mentioned, as you are the you know the practitioner de jour, as it is, as it were, in that area. Now, as we come to the uh, the end of this, right towards the end of this, it's a great shame actually, because we could talk obviously for hours, but I know your voice might you know might not hold out. So let's um, let's move on, as they say. Uh, finally, this last question, you know, the summarizing question. People say te- people tend to remember the first thing that said, the last thing that said. So. The obvious question here for you is to perhaps produce the impossible, which is a bit of a summary of some of the key ideas or just a, a couple of sentences or a key idea that you want listeners to take away from this, the takeaway message. But at the same time, this is probably the impossible ask, asking you to not only give us you know, a, a pointer to that accumulated wisdom and the insights you've gained, but also you know, listeners who might be thinking about taking the next step you know, in building, whether it be holistic management, you know, into the agricultural sector, um, regenerative agriculture, or just generally interested in bringing, you know, that more holistic view to create a genuinely ecologically sustainable future in this place. Um, What have you got to say to them? What can you offer to them in terms of a bit of advice or some ideas to take away? Uh, The infrastructure, uh, attributes of home environment work environment and natural environment when it's at its best so that's the that's the visioning bit so when it's at its best what attributes do those aspects have and that's the the second part the first part is your values so what's important to you why how do you want to feel most of the time how do you want to show up so those are the like the once you've got those two parts that's your context so you've got that context and then you can actually start using the decision, you know, then you can start saying, okay, well, if I take this action, does it move me towards that or not? And you can just simply say, like, yes, there's 10 could, there's 10 questions in the decision tool, which I'm not going to go over because verbal, you know, or, or in an audio situation, it's, it can be a bit, uh, bit tricky, but ultimately just ask, you know, is it good for the people involved and the people that matter to me in my life? Is this option good for the environment or does it help or hinder? And then is it okay for us financially? Like that's that's it, you know. Really, it's um that to me is if if everyone did that, um and actually understood. And I mean, again, when we ask that environmental, I would then say that people do need to get a handle on, um, you know, the environment, how nature functions is very, um, holistic management covers that very well, and it is it some of it is different to what people would expect. Um, particularly, you know, for example, I flag that animals are actually really good in our landscape when they're properly managed. So if you are a farmer, know what properly managed looks like, know what planned grazing is, um, because that's going to that's going to boot reboot your business, you know. So there's nuances in that. Um, but ultimately, it's it's about research, about finding stuff out and then just well, doing some training, doing some education and then and then implementing it and making it making the change that uh you want to do uh on your place and make it make it even better so i think that's probably um you know that that's the starting point is just to to really think about what you want your property to look like or your um life to be like your how do you, your values and your vision um and then um if you are on the land and you are managing land then definitely get some education in regards to how nature functions and the consequences of the tools on the management, because that's when that's when the outcomes change. You know, when you know that information, you then can sh- start shifting the outcome and ma- and and moving the needle. 
So those are the, that's the, the key areas of information, I think, for people um, are those two parts, yeah. Well, I, I tell you what, Helen, what a beautiful, clear framework, you know, to finish with here, you know, to, to actually demonstrate how to make better, more holistic, genuinely sustainable decisions about, frankly, not only your own personal life, you know, but the life in communities and, and all the way up, actually taking that principle to its logical extent to the planet as well, to the future. So it's as a nice way to finish. And it's, it's just, it's obvious, it's an understatement to say it's been a great pleasure to talk with you today. Um, I'm certain, confident that you've given our audience some great ideas which might help inform their own thinking about possible next steps towards building a genuine, ecologically sustainable future in this place, whether that be in the agricultural sector or in the corporate sector or other sectors, as, as we've just touched upon there. Um, you know, hopefully this your comments will help start conversations on holism principles, regenerative agriculture and other environmental topics with our listeners, you know, as they talk to their friends, colleagues uh, within employing organizations or in their professional associations. As with each of our guests in the series, um, you know, we hope that the inspiring story that you've given us is going to ripple out far and wide. But for now, just on behalf of my podcast support organization, Householders Options to Protect the Environment, it just remains for me to thank you so very warmly for our conversation today. It's a pleasure, Andrew, and thank you for the opportunity. Um, and I just uh, um, invite the uh, invite your audience to be curious about the world around them and the uh, the environment in which they're living. So thanks. Well said. Well said. You've been listening to a podcast episode in the series Queensland Women: Inspiring Stories from Environmental Champions. The series was produced for Householders' Options to Protect the Environment Incorporated as part of the Queensland Women's Week 2023 event and it aligns with the objectives of the Queensland Women's Strategy 2022-2027. Hope thanks the Queensland Department of Justice and Attorney General's Office for Women and Violence Prevention for the generous funding support which made this podcast project possible. Please consult the episode text notes for possible follow-up material on topics discussed and any relevant contact details should you wish to respond to anything you've heard. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider promoting it across your networks and giving it a positive rating in your preferred podcast app. My name is Andrew Nicholson, producer of the series, and thank you for listening.